You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Separating from a partner when you have children together is painful, difficult and often confusing. If you're lucky, you can work it out without going to court. If not, you could find yourself navigating the legal system without much understanding of what's going on. Zoe Durand has worked as a lawyer for 12 years in family practice. She's seen firsthand what families have to go through when separating. She's a nationally accredited mediator and family dispute resolution practitioner. And Zoe's also written a book. It's called Inside Family Law, Conversations from the Coalface. And she's now launched a podcast to help cast some light on the subject of separation in the Australian legal system. Hi, Zoe. Hi. Thank you for having me. Now, there's a lot of resources there. Sounds like people need a lot of support with this. Yeah. Look, I think that a lot of the clients I've helped, they sort of have a bit of a team. It's a divorce team. You know, they've got their lawyer. They might have a counsellor as well. You know, they might start doing something else to support themselves through the separation Um, because the thing is ultimately if parents are supported and going well, usually that will flow on and the kids will be going well too. Okay. You know, if parents are falling apart, it's going to affect the children. Yeah. And if you've got that support structure that's Mm. helping you, um, what do you see as the most common difficulties for families Mm. when they're going through a divorce? Separation. Yeah. Look, I think, look, there's so many difficulties, but I think what I'm seeing and the thing, and I'm really glad that we're here today to talk about it. I'm just seeing... A lot of a, like a big problem with children exposed to conflict. People think it's that's the separation that affects children. It's not specifically the separation as such, like the fact that the parents have separated. It's the exposure to the ongoing. I'm not talking about one-off incidences, but an ongoing endemic conflict, and that is what changes children and actually changes who they're going to become as an adult. And I, I mean, I see, and I'm certainly not trying to take away because family violence is obviously a really serious issue too. Um, and I'm glad that's getting some coverage in the media, but I'm still not seeing it. I don't think enough coverage in the media. Maybe it's not very interesting or exciting to talk about how much conflict and exposure to conflict um, really affects children in separation. From what I've seen on the outside looking in, Mm. when parents are separating, it can go a number of ways. Mm. Obviously, a conscious up uncoupling oh yeah, yeah. Is the ideal. And, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 which i have seen people really try their best to do yeah, it that sure. way but you both have to be on the same page for that mm. and if you're separating there's a reason why you're separating mm. um how can pa- people deal with it if they're trying to make it a, a nice smooth well not nice but let's just say a amicable process, separation, amicable separation yeah. but the other person is just making it's it very so hard. difficult it's very hard then if they're not both on the same page i think sometimes what i see is i mean i don't doubt like most parents obviously well, hopefully hopefully the vast majority of parents really love their children but what i see is that when parents separate Sometimes whatever love for that child, that can kind of become subsumed by like the need for revenge. It's like they get swallowed up by the need for revenge against the other side. So even though there is that background of love for their child, that it kind of takes, the revenge kind of takes over that. That's what I have observed, sadly. And you say when you see people, they often have a team of supporters. Yeah, do, it's so common. <laughs> do people speak to counsellors? Like it feels like I you... wish they did. And they do sometimes. Like I do encourage the clients that I see 
to see a counsellor. But the um, ones that are hell-bent on revenge probably aren't talking to anyone, probably, right? Probably may, may not be talking to anyone. But I think sometimes it would help if they were seeing a counsellor because maybe they could process – because it's normal to be angry. Like if you're separating, you're probably going to be angry at like your ex-partner. You're going to be angry at the situation, angry that your life didn't turn out how you thought. Like I'm not trying to say that people should repress their anger, but perhaps they need to just find the right forum for that and channel that in the right way with a counsellor or, you know, with a walking buddy and, and their friend, their best friend who they can complain to about it who's not going to repeat it back to the family and the child. You know what I mean? It's about managing those emotions in a healthy way. Go and do kickboxing. Go and see a counsellor. Don't, don't <laughs> yes. try, you know, don't try and use your child as a, as a tool to sort of beat the other parent with. So I'm not trying to at all say that people aren't entitled to their emotions. Um, parents and children are both going to just feel what they're going to feel about a separation and, and it's not healthy to bottle those emotions up, but it needs to be processed in a healthy way. Now, you're a mediation yeah. lawyer. I do both, media and lawyer. Yeah, yeah. because I was going to say, in the process of separation, you can get mediation before you go to court. Is yeah, you right? certainly can. Look, um, you can certainly mediate. In fact, it's you're actually required by law to try mediation, except in certain cases, um, before filing in court. So you can't actually file in court anyway without showing the court the certificate that says, hey, we went and tried mediation. What That's imperative. What and the other person doesn't? Well, then, then that would, hap- would happen is the mediator would issue a certificate saying, well, so-and-so refused, and then you could go to court. Okay. So you've got to at least try and mediate, and then so you approach a mediator, the mediator will then invite the other parent to mediation. If they don't agree, then you would get your certificate to be able to go to court. But you've got to at least, it's a hoop to go through. Hopefully it's not just a hoop. Hopefully people actually use the mediation process properly, but at minimum, it's something they need to turn their mind to um, before commencing in court. And where do you find most of your work, in mediation or in the court system? Um, I Look, I've done a lot of both over the years. Um, where's I mean, the greatest demand? I'm trying to figure out demand? whether people actually look, use mediation before no, no, they No, 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 there is a lot. I have, uh, me, look, I think every lawyer is different. Me personally, maybe it's like different clients are attracted to different lawyers. Do you know what I mean? It's yes. kind of like different people are attracted to different partners and when they get together and then when they separate, they go, it's, certain, it's like certain people go for certain lawyers. The clients that often are attracted, not in that way, <laughs> are attracted yes. to me as a lawyer um, are often ones that are looking to resolve it amicably. So I may have a skewed perspective. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like I would say for me, the, the majority of matters I have are not, have been not court matters as in we've resolved it prior to court, but I always have had on foot matters that are in court as well as when I was lawyering. Mm. Um, I, I did take a bit of a break from lawyering for the last year, but I'm actually going back into it now as a consultant um, in a firm. So yeah. I can imagine it's quite tough by the time it gets to court because you would yes. assume if it gets to court, talking about things and trying to work things out for both parties hasn't worked. Mm, they see it very differently. Are they are they the most acrimonious cases that make the it ones to that court? Litigate. Look, often it is fairly acrimonious. And look, look, I'm kind of into my, like the lawyer in me respects, the adversarial system respects it as a mechanism for finding truth. But then at the same time, I do understand where, like in my book, Inside Family Law, when I interviewed family therapists, a lot of their comments were they felt the adversarial system doesn't really have positive effects on families, that the nature of that kind of system where you've got party A on one side and party B on the other side trying to argue different sides kind of pulls them, polarizes them further. Yeah. Um, if you think about the practicalities of it, like if you're commencing court proceedings, um, at least in the Federal Circuit Court, you would have to file an affidavit that goes with your documents, with your application. And in that affidavit, you'd probably outline all the disparaging things about the other side's parenting capacity. You know, it's not a great start to sort of be confronted with each other's written document 
an affidavit, you know. And it's, particularly you know, for the kids because you're making a case why their other parent isn't Kind of like, or why, why it should be my, I should get more time than the other parent. So you're saying bad things about the other parent. It's not always a great start, you know, and then that, that's the, where they start, you know, in court. And then it goes downhill sometimes from there. But look, they what I sometimes find is, because I often hear back from clients like years down the track and they're like, oh, you know, we're in such a better place now. Yes, that was just this uniquely terrible time when we were litigating they're like but now like we're not best friends but we it's it calmed down a lot and I often see that people say that their like co-parenting relationship with their ex just give it time like it's when you first separate it's very difficult I think even if you don't go to court although perhaps going to court could make it worse it's in some cases but even if you don't go to court there's often a lot of there's just a lot of feelings that come out you know we're emotional so beings so when we separate it's like it's everything it's like you thought you'd spend your life with this person you thought you'd have children in the context of a relationship together there's obviously reasons you separated you might have different parenting styles you might not like the way they parent um and people often feel cheated they feel ripped off they feel angry they only see what the things the other person's done not the ways they've contributed to the situation um and it can be just very like they, the 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 grievances can just kind of build and build on themselves um, after can, separation. You can see that happening. Mm. When it comes to let's just go back to the beginning sure. when you know that you're separating mm. and it's just too much and you you have to leave that situation. I'm not saying that it's violent. It's just not working for anyone. And mm. so the, like, I don't want to be with this person. Yeah, anymore. I don't want to be. See, I'm going to leave. Um, do you forsake any rights by being the person who leaves that situation? Do you mean if you left the home? Yes. And it, if you look, leave the family home? Because I've heard yeah, of women who've one. tried to leave, who've just ended up saying, this is too much, I'm going to leave. They, the other partner stays in the house. In mm. this case, it has been a heterosexual couple. The man has stayed in the house and the woman has left. And so many people have turned around to those women and said, you shouldn't have left the family home. This is a really hard one, isn't it? Because it's like, look, what I think, this is the main thing I would say. If you're thinking of leaving and you're like in an intolerable situation and you, you need, because some people separate under one roof, but look, that's a hard gig. I mean, I don't know if I could do that. So yeah. <laughs> um, if you're thinking of separating, um, I think you should go and get legal advice. Like the number one, like you, as well as getting a senior counselor and all these other supports, go and get some proper legal advice from a trusted lawyer, perhaps one recommended like through a friend or a friend of a friend. Um someone who's experienced in family law, get some legal advice um, because there are things you can do. Like you could, for example, seek an order that you have sole occupancy of the home or you could negotiate. It's very difficult when you're all under one roof and say, look, I need you to move out or your lawyer might have other strategies about how you can stay in the home. Um, I think that if someone's listening to this and they're thinking of leaving, I mean, look, there's emergency situations, as you said, if it's violence or they just, they need to leave as soon as possible. But if it's more just like, they're like, I don't want to be with this person anymore. We're, we're arguing. I don't want to live with them. Or maybe they're not arguing. They're just stonewalling each other. Um, definitely seek legal advice because I know it doesn't sound very fair, but anecdotally in reality I do see people sometimes get on the disadvantage when they've moved out. You know what I mean? Because And, and is that because the family home is the one that's possibly been bought, there's an investment there? Is that- well, the, what I see happen is, <laughs> okay, so what happens is the spouse that's then staying in the home, and it could be the man, or it could often be the woman, they sort of get the tactical advantage because they're in the home with the children, they've got the former matrimonial home, and the other side's wanting to hurry it up. They're like, we need orders, I need arrangements to see my children, we need to get the property sold or whatever so I can get some assets. The one who's staying in the home, whether that's the husband or the, the wife or whoever, um, is sort of like, well, why would they rush this process? 
things are only going to get worse for them. They've got the home also themselves. They've got rid of their pesky ex, you know. They've got the children. It's sort of like, and then the other side will just see them, you know, whenever. And they, they're they in this situation where they're kind of at the top of the hill in the castle. And the longer the, the, the delays go on, it's sort of the better for that person. I know that sounds awful. But sometimes I've seen in cases court delays have worked in the favour of the person who's staying in the home. Right. So, you know, because they're just, there's no, it's very hard to negotiate with them sometimes then because it's like, as I said, things are only going to get worse for them. You know, they're only going to either sell their home or give up more time with their children. So it's difficult. But if someone's in an urgent situation, they should act, you know, appropriately. Um, But definitely, I think either way, seek some legal advice, um, about your situation early. And what if people are thinking, because this often happens as well, if there's a stay-at-home parent, Mm. they may not have access to finances. And when you advise, Mm. perhaps go see a lawyer, they might be thinking, I don't have any money. I don't Mm. even have access to our accounts. How can I see a lawyer? Mm. What do you do then? Look, it's difficult. They could at least, I would say, see legal aid. Legal aid have um, like a drop-in service. Um, at least they did when I was there. I believe they still have it uh, in the city. I know in other legal aid offices, if you just Google search legal aid, like initial free advice, a lot of legal aid centers will have that initial free advice. I know that there are some law firms. Um, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. If you if you sort of put something, if you push around into it, maybe ask around through your mum mom groups or dad groups, there are law firms that offer that initial free consultation. Or at least they would give you like a free 15 minutes on the phone to sort of assess whether or not you, you can come in or ways around it. Um, but definitely as well, legal aid offer that free initial advice. Yeah, just to know where you're at. So I think the the thing that most parents will worry about in this case mm. of separation is their children's well-being. Sure. With all of that stuff that comes with a separation or the emotional pain, mm. what's the best way for couples to support with the children yeah yeah and, and work out work out ways that their children can survive the well best. look I mean there are sort of extreme circumstances like you, like if you're talking about family violence or abuse but putting those to the side if you're talking about a situation where there aren't those immediate like safety issues obviously I think it's beneficial for children to no matter what happens you tell them that they're loved that they're supported that you know the, the separations sort of between the parents it's nothing to do with the children and to not just say that but to show that as well to as much as possible, not use the children as messengers. Do not use the children as go-betweens. Do not use the children to look for them to valid, like validify your views about your ex. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying repress your emotions, but go and go and vent to your best friend or something. Like you know, <laughs> go for a power walk and vent to your best friend when you get time off. Don't use the children to complain about your ex spouse. Um, so as much as possible, the children to feel loved and supported, and to at least feel, even if you sort of have to fake it till you make it, that mum and dad or mum and mum or dad and dad are still friends. Um, that would be the best way to support the children through it, and to let the children have the space to have their own emotions. You know, sometimes children, you know, might react really angrily to a separation. Sometimes they might seem to be, to be fine. And sometimes they might seem to be fine though, because the parents are somehow giving the message that they're not allowed to be upset about it. Okay. Like they don't want to see the kid crying or upset or angry about it. So I'm not saying let them be, be badly behaved or be naughty at school or, you know, any of that kind of stuff, but like talk it through, like tell them it's okay. Like, what are they feeling about? Like they are allowed to have feelings about the separation, their own feelings as well as each parent is as well. Yeah. Oh, it's so tough. Mm. What do you think are some of the biggest obstacles for families within the legal system? Well, I think the delays do not assist. (laughs) 
I mean, you, I don't know how much you've heard about this, but there are huge court delays at the moment. I mean, this is why family law is under the microscope um, and people are looking at reviewing it. I think... I think that there's kind of a misunderstanding or a space of misunderstanding around what the actual law is. Like I see a lot of parents that go, oh, there's a presumption for equal time. There never has been um, an actual presumption for equal time. There was, what it was, was that um, if the court found that there was equal shared parental responsibility, which is actually not to do with time, it's to do with decision making about the child, then they would actually just turn their minds to or consider whether or not equal or substantial time would be beneficial. But it wasn't that direct that there's a presumption for equal time, because that's what it's turned into, I find, in a lot of parents' minds. Um, Actually, interestingly, the proposed reforms are to simplify it down and get rid of that Um, We change that wording so it's more just we're looking at children's best interests in a general sense and looking at certain factors. Uh, And I think personally that's a positive. Um, I think that there's, yeah, there's misunderstanding around the law. I think the delays don't assist. When you say delays, how Mm. long are we talking? So if you... Your relationship Mm. breaks down, you separate. From when you file in court, what, you could be in court, what? It depends on the registry, but in Sydney it's bad. Like it could be two years, two and a half, three child could be out mm. of it loses relevance it loses relevance like I worked as an independent um, children's lawyer for a while and I remember like once I even came into this this wasn't my fault I wasn't in the matter I suddenly got given this new matter and they said oh look we need a children's lawyer in this matter I looked through the file it's been in court for four or five years already and I and we weren't even listed for a trial date it was just like this never going to end it was just endless four or five years mm. and if they're a child, they'll be a teenager mm. by the time it loses relevance. It really does. It starts to kind That's of heartbreaking. It is, and it's just, and then parents are paying for this. It cripples parents financially. It cripples parents emotionally. It also keeps them in a state of like agitation with like cortisone going through yes. their body about all these court dates. It's like perjury. They're not <laughs> yeah. going anywhere. So it's kind of like how does that doesn't really help families? And I think that's why we're having this whole. I mean, I'm sure you've heard, obviously, about um, the um, proposed um, recommendations. I mean, some people are uh, uh, saying things should go even further than that um, and there needs to be like a Royal High Commission. But it's it's definitely, I think that there have been a lot of families and individuals, parents and children that have suffered through what's happened in the yeah, family law system. Yeah, and be da- been damaged, mm. probably. So is there a way to mm. avoid things getting to that point where you are litigating. Look, this is what I think. I sort of think, yes, in the majority of cases, I do see cases where it's sort of like, these people should not be litigating. Like They can sort this out. There's no major allegations about risk of harm. It's really like one parent think wants to have equal time and the other says, no, you should have five nights. Like They should try and sort something out, Do a me- go to mediation, see if they can resolve it. Other cases, I certainly acknowledge there is a place for the courts, like in cases where they just cannot agree. Like one saying that severe family violence occurred, the other saying there's no family violence and they've got huge just disparity on how they see things. I think, I mean, they're always going to see things differently, but I'm talking vastly differently. Um, So I think that, yeah, that for hopefully for most people listening to this, you can resolve matters if possible outside of court, seek out a lawyer who um, is aligned with the way you want to resolve things, which is going to cause the least damage to your family and your children who wants to try and resolve things amicably. And you've just got, just got to hope your ex finds a lawyer of that style as well. But there are some cases where people do need to litigate or if the other parent's threatening to take the child overseas and never return them, you need to litigate. Like, you know, there are cases where litigation, I'm not like, I know some mediators, it's just the vibe is kind of everything should be, you know, I under, I see it from both sides because I've, I've worked as a mediator and a lawyer and I can see in some cases where, it is necessary to litigate, but hopefully in the vast majority of cases, it really is not. 
And what are the resources that are available to families going through this? Okay. Look, I think if you're going through this, you can start with perhaps contacting the Relationships Australia or Interrelate Services. Um, they offer, some of them do offer mediations in certain cases. Um, I don't know if they offer mediation in property, it's more usually in parenting cases. Um, but they would also be a good like first point of contact because they can refer you on to a lot of resources. I think that they, through Relationships Australia and Interrelate, I think both of them, they run certain courses like post-separation um, parenting courses, which I think are a really great resource. Um, you know, there's some great courses out there like the Circle of Security, um, Parents Not Partners. Yeah, there's some really good, like just, just as a starting point. Yeah. And then, you know, you could think about, you know, seeing a counsellor or psychologist, like a private psychologist, or perhaps Relationships Australia might have some kind of referral there. I'm not sure though. Don't, don't hold me to that. Um, I think that's a good place to start. And then also getting some legal assistance as well with a kind of like mind if you're a parent that wants to resolve it amicably, a like-minded kind of lawyer. Yeah, great. Well, Zoe, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with no us. No worries. That was Zoe Durand. Her podcast is called Inside Family Law with Zoe Durand. It's available on Podbean. You can also reach her at her website, which is mediationanswers.com.au, and we'll put links to all of these resources in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced by Elise Cooper and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. You can get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.